BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury and this is Matt Splained. Electric cars, lies and the metaverse. And as far as Matt Armitage is concerned, it's all you need to know about 2023. Hold tight as we rock it into, well, uh, this week. Yeah, I mean... Well, hello and uh, happy 2023, everyone. Um, and it, it's, it's cool, kind of, is it? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, it's weird to think this is 2023. I genuinely think we should have stopped counting in 2019. You know, we've... I mean, all the years have been pretty terrible since then. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. Um, I mean, even this show, this is the second time we've recorded it because technology <laughs> just lost it. Um, so this is this is 2023 part two. I don't want to <laughs> repeat this year already. Um, anyway, uh, today uh, we've got a rough guide to 2023. I mean, does anyone remember the rough guides or uh, the lonely planets? Well, I mean, maybe. yeah, exactly. I mean, guidebooks would, you know, they were this kind of pre-internet kind of travel crowdsourcing. You know, they were books that yeah. were put together by backpackers and travelers. They were frequently updated so that, you know, they you could be reasonably sure that the, the, the hostels, the bars, the homestays, everything was still there, that the reviews were kind of accurate. Um, obviously, I say bars, but most of the time it would just list whatever reggae bar existed in that particular city, <laughs> which kind of tells you more about the the writers than it does any of the cultures they, they went to. But yeah, are, are travel books, are rough guides still a thing? Well, I mean, I know they have a website, but whether or not it, it, there's a what a hard what's it hard copy ver, hard copy version. See, even that word has disappeared out of my <laughs> vocabulary now. You know, <laughs> no, I I know. I mean, uh, I, it's probably not interesting, but I I used to actually work for a record company that made companion music CDs for the the rough guide travel books. Mm. Um, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I'd have said that was irrelevant, but books and CDs are making a comeback. So I guess I'm a, a relevant relic again. Um, anyway, I, I found a bunch of those CDs on uh, Spotify and some of the streaming platforms. They're still great introductions if you want to hear music from different parts of the world or from different genres. Um, I'd recommend the uh, Psychedelic Cambodia CD. Nothing to do with me. It was long after I left the company. Um, it's just a, a great collection of, you know, kind of psychedelic rock music from Southeast Asia in the uh, sort of 1960s and 70s. So check that one out if you're looking for something new and old and interesting to listen to new and old and interesting no i thought that was going to be an explanation of me but it's not um anyway so what does our our rough guide to uh, 2023 consist of well not really predictions we don't do predictions anymore it's just it's just too darn dangerous it's too dangerous yeah, you you can't do it. Um, for all we know, you know, somebody will type lethal COVID variant into chat GPT or one of those uh, image generators and the magic of technology will make it real and, you know, turn the world to dust. So I'm being cheery on the first show of the year. Um, anyway, we'll have a look at some of the things that we're likely to see over the next 12 months, mm -hmm. but we'll try and keep the conjecture about how they're likely to uh, pan out to ourselves. Um, I noticed there's um, a lack of a mention of uh, a little bluebird. Uh, uh, so, so is that what your way of saying we're not going to be talking about Twitter? 
No, not specifically. We'll kind of mention it later on in the show. Um, we are kind of Musk adjacent occasionally. Um, we'll touch on electric cars, although again, not specifically Tesla. Uh, okay. Tesla, of course, has been sort of continually in the news, not just in relation to Twitter, uh, but because we keep seeing the valuation of the company slipping, even as it mm. starts to deliver more cars. You know, mm -hmm. we saw this huge uh, sort of explosion in its value before it was really shipping a lot of cars. And now it's kind of tumbling when it's bringing a lot to market. It's a bit odd. Um, I was actually chatting about classical definitions of uh, GDP with some friends a couple of days ago. Yeah, Richard's shaking his head. I'm not surprised. Um, that's kind of a warning never to accept an invitation to coffee from me. I've um, been there. I know what it's like. Yeah, exactly. You will be bored. Um, but <laughs> with a lot of tech companies, we're kind of seeing this kind of anti-GDP happening, that their mm. market value is slipping, even as their output, and in some cases, as their revenue increases. But anyway, we're not heading there today. We're not talking about that. The first thing I want to talk about today is ageism. You, you don't mean plagiarism or ageistism or I, I, what are you talking about? Is this, well, I mean, you've invented I'm, this. No, I haven't invented it. I'm never far from ageism, but um, <laughs> ageism is a, a form of plagiarism, but it's specific to AI. So it's Jerism right. with an AI on the front. Uh, got it, so, got it. Yeah. Um, one of the stories we mentioned, I think last December, if I remember right, was uh, about Stack Overflow, which is uh, a kind of how-to site for coders. Uh, Stack Overflow had stopped people from posting code and answers to questions that were created by uh, an AI chatbot called ChatGPT. You know, we've mm -hmm. discussed that to death over the past sort of six weeks. Now, there are a few reasons for this, partly because generating those Q&As is incredibly easy. So a single person could be contributing hundreds or thousands of answers. And, you know, nobody likes gaming systems, especially in open communities. But the larger reason is accuracy. Stack uh, Overflow's moderators found that the answers generated by chat GPT had a very high degree of just being wrong. Um, <laughs> now, in the AI community, um, some people are calling these hallucinations. Um, other people in those communities are objecting to that terminology because hallucinating makes it seem as though the machine is alive. It suggests that the machines are sentient or conscience, uh, conscious, which obviously they aren't. Um, but yeah, so that's what brings us back around to this idea of plagiarism. Yeah, but and how how can you tell whether or not the, the questions and the answers uh, uh, came from chat GPT? Well, exactly. And this isn't just an issue for Stack Overflow. You know, this is about um, school and college papers. It's about right. disinformation. You know, it's about people who are using machines like this to, or could use machines like this to flood social media platforms with bot content that hides or disguises or fabricates information. Mm. Uh, it could be about people getting to do the machine to do work that they're being paid to do, which is just smart as far as I can figure out. Um, but it brings us to this idea of plagiarism created by AI, so ageism. Uh, I guess it's a kind of a, a new word for deep fake in mm. a sense, you know, mm. the idea that the machine is tricking us into thinking that a product or an image or a piece of content uh, is factual and was created by a, 
a person. Mm. Uh, on this subject of, uh, I think, deep fakes, um, I'll add a disclaimer here because my sister-in-law was uh, involved in creating this show. Uh, there's a new British comedy series called Deep Fake Neighbor Wars that starts streaming at the end of uh, January. It pretends to be a reality show starring a host of celebrities who all live near one another, uh, next door to each other, and all hate each other. You know, they have all of these sort of petty neighbor squabbles, like throwing things over the wall and cutting each other's hedges. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you know the kind of reality show. I do, premise. I do. But yeah. the celebs are all. I mean, it's acted, but they're the faces are all deep fake video. So right. they're kind of overlaid with celebrity faces with impressionists doing the voices. So yeah, check that out. But th that's not ageism, right? Well, no, because it's being labeled and promoted as spoof and satire. It's obvious that uh, no one's supposed to believe that, you know, Matthew McConaughey lives next door to Idris Elba in some suburb of some, you know, British market town. Um, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you know, and they're sitting in <laughs> deck chairs and throwing apples at each other over a fence. But back to, you know, ageism. Um, I mentioned, uh, uh, I think, last year that OpenAI is uh, developing a method to detect whether text has been created by the system. So this is a kind of reverse watermarking process. And I think I've kind of understood how this works. It essentially builds patterns into the original text. So the machine constructs the text with detectable patterns in, with these watermarks within it. Linguistically, these would be undetectable or probably unnoticed by the average reader. But anyone who was looking for evidence that a piece of text was machine generated or even using their own uh, AI to track those patterns, they could detect it within the text presented to them. Got so a, at a lecture at the University of Texas, Scott Aronson, who's a guest researcher at OpenAI, said that the new tweaks should be able to um, predict whether something has been created just by analyzing a few hundred words so they can find out if it's been generated by a machine. Now, whether or not someone can game that recipe, so change the text sufficiently that the pattern recognition won't recognize it anymore. I don't know, but I think that would probably defeat the point of chat GPT for most people mm, because mm. the effort of making the cheat look real is just going to be too much work for the right. people who are using it to cheat in the first place. Now, apart from the fact that you like to introduce new words uh, to us on this show, uh, often clearly invented by yourself, uh, despite the fact you're disputing that, uh, and as this is a rough guide to 2023, how important do you think, though, that measures like this are moving forward? Well, ageism is a cute word, and it doesn't come from me. Um, interestingly, it comes from a venture capitalist. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, um, but his wife is actually one of the original backers of open AI. So oh. he's come up with, yeah, so it's actually quite an interesting route to ageism. Um, but I, I think 2023 is uh, actually the year where we start to see AI becoming mainstream. Mm. Now, I know a lot of people are going to be shouting at you know, their, their phones or their headphones or whatever and saying, it already is mainstream, <laughs> you idiot. Um, what we currently have is lots of sort of slightly maybe useful artificial intelligence. 
the really mainstream stuff is actually mostly invisible to us. You know, we see mm. the results rather than the actions of the machine. So the algorithms used in financial systems, for example, the ones used in retail platforms, the ones that are aggregating information or controlling what we see on our news feeds, these are the things that we largely just see the results of. The consumer-facing stuff, like Siri and Alexa, is sometimes helpful, but mostly still sort of very limited in scope or usefulness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think this year is where we see that change. I think this year is where the machines we command with our voices start to, I'm not going to say understand, because again, that's giving the wrong impression. I think that's where they start to pass our commands more accurately. They understand us. And I'm saying it again, they don't understand us, but <laughs> they will comprehend the commands more accurately. Um, but we're also, I think, going to see those abilities linked to machine voices. Mm. So we're going to see machines that can research subjects for you, that can summarize the results, and to read those summaries back to you. Uh, because, you know, People forget that one of the more underrated things that uh, machines like ChatGPT can do for you is actually to sub-edit, to make yeah. your writing better. Uh, they can suggest new phrasing. They can get rid of those grammatical mistakes and errors to help people write more clearly and accurately. I mean, it's formulaic, but does it really matter? Well, I think in most instances, it's fine. You know, if you need to create signage for use around your office or your factory, you know, chat GPT, boom, done, print. Right. Um, I needed something put quickly into a, a video storyboard format. I put the notes and the script into the machine and it spat it out. I mean, it wasn't ready for use. I spent maybe half an hour or an hour tidying up, but that saved me hours. So Think how it will change, for example, the quality of conversations that we have with general chatbots. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I fully realize how weird that is to say. Uh, most people don't want to talk to chatbots, you know, in customer service, that kind of thing. They want a human. But, you know, realistically, that's like hoping for a return to the good old days of three channels on TV and kids playing with sticks in the street. It was <laughs> never actually that good. And barring the collapse of society, it's not coming back. Um, employers just aren't likely to spend that money when they can have an artificial customer service department that never stops working right. and costs a lot less money. Mm -hmm. So machines that aren't frustrating and have a better as I said, a, a better ability to pass what you're trying to tell them, that's going to be essential. Uh, I think another interesting question is whether we see those services being deployed more widely for speech rather than text. So this week, Apple announced the delayed release of a tranche of AI narrated audiobooks through its books app. Now, a lot of ebook services have had AI narrator options for a while, but those are essentially on-demand text-to-voice. So right, the yeah, AI yeah. voice approaches the text for the first time every time. So you get a lot of weird vocalizations, you get the stress for sentences in the wrong place. So the listening experience is generally, you know, pretty unsatisfying. Now, um, before I ask this question, I, I need to point out this very fact that you have asked me to ask this question, right? You know. Breaking yeah, all no, kinds no, no, of walls. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. Here, I'll, right. I'll go with that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Who cares about audiobooks? 
Yeah, exactly. So that's why I didn't want Richard to <laughs> look like some kind of crazy hater on the show. Um, so the audiobook industry was actually worth $1.5 billion last year, and it grew by an incredible 25%. So mm. it's estimated that it could be worth as much as $30 billion by the end of the decade. So obviously, Apple wants a big slice of that. And yes, I just made the apples pie joke. That's mm -hmm. not a dad joke. It's not even a granddad joke. That could be a prehistory joke. Um, <laughs> apples, apples service or approach rather is different in that these are produced AI narrated audiobooks. So hopefully, what you get sounds more like a, 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 a book professionally narrated by. A human, so you don't get any of these weird inconsistencies, these mispronunciations, and this kind of garbling. So Apple has been working with independent publishers for months. Uh, I haven't been able to try any of them out yet because uh, the book service doesn't really run in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. A lot of publishers don't like the idea. Um, for one thing, there are a lot of voice actors who are making a, a good living from audiobooks. I don't really see this as a, a full replacement to that idea of having, you know, human actors conveying the story, which I love because I listen to so many audiobooks. Mm. Um, but making an audiobook is expensive and it can take weeks of recording and production. And that limits the number of titles available. So there are loads of books that I want to read that I simply can't because there isn't an audio version. So I see this more as a kind of complementary service that allows, you know, independent publishers or more niche authors to make their work available as audiobooks without the incurring the costs that big publishers can bear. Just to be clear, I do like audiobooks. I, I do. Um, anyway. He um, doesn't. You should have heard I the do. things he was I saying do. to me at our fair. Yeah, he, he said people who uh, like audiobooks obviously can't read. Um, He's such they a can't fibber. retain information uh, and they have no appreciation of movies. Uh, uh, anyway, um, moving swiftly along, but how does all of this dovetail then or, or intersect with, with chatbots? Well, it's about machines that have realistic feeling conversations with you. Um, machines that can produce the words they need to say and actually say them in a way that doesn't make you feel as though a robot has been dispatched to kill you. Um, mm. And, you know, this is happening across the board um, with these kind of AI tools. Um, we're seeing, you know, the speed with which all those other sort of text to AI generators are evolving is turning them into these really useful tools. I'm not going to ask how your journey with Midjourney is uh, coming along. Yeah, I can see. Uh, it's I on can, pause. It's on pause. Let's just yeah, put it that way. Richard just went into a thousand yard stare mode. <laughs> um, but, you know, a, a lot of us use things like templates for social media posts. We might yeah. use them through Canva or whatever other app. Now, I'm thinking that before the end of the year, I promise not to make predictions, but I'm making them. Um, I'm thinking that before the end of the year, a lot of these image generators will be able to do that in the same 
way that a chatbot can. So for mm. you, for example, you upload your photo, you type in the text, tell it what kind of border you want, what kind of text, what filter controls, and the machine will just create it for you live, um, giving you what seems to be a more unique looking post than you'll get if you use one of these kind of stock frames. Mm. Um, I think this week I sent you a link to uh, an AI music generator well, what did you think? You think this week, you sent it to me late in the middle of the night last night. Um, here's a fibber. I, I tried it out. Okay. And um, the Sorry, first time I was I listening to an audio book. <laughs> the first time I tried it out, um, the website couldn't keep up with the demand, obviously, that people are, yeah, it didn't work. Uh, and then I tried it and uh, some of the inputs I put in, because you have to give it suggestions of, of what you yeah. want, right? Keywords, I guess. Uh, and I put in Chinese reggae. Yeah, I don't think I will listen to Chinese reggae anytime soon. Uh, and the second one was uh, Art Garfunkel, Faithless and Jazz. Um, and it was like that music you hear whilst you're waiting for an elevator. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It wasn't bad. It's, it's not something... I'd listen to though. No, I mean, but but again, um, we say that. But from where I started from Mid Journey and introduced it to you, mm. you know, that was the space of three months, and the evolution was, you know, ridiculous night and day, ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, this this uh, service that I sent to Richard, it's called Refusion. You can search it and go and check it out. It creates simple music loops again from these te uh, text inputs as richard said you can ask it to sound like chinese jazz or you can ask it to sound like your favorite artist and it'll do uh, an approximation so you can have sinatra style swing with punk guitar for example um, but when you think of this all combined and in totality we're getting close to this point where we can create text on demand images on demand and these video and music on demand services are coming soon mm. so that's kind of a 15-minute answer to the simple question, why do I think AI is becoming more mainstream <laughs> this year? Um, but, you know, as we head for the messages, I do have to reiterate, this doesn't change what AI is. These are tools. These are not solutions. Mm -hmm. So we have to not confuse um, their ability to enhance our own creativity with them having the ability to create. So a lot of people will be telling you all kinds of things about what AI will be able to do. So you're going to hear that a lot this year. But just remember, these things, they're tools. We've got to not confuse the hype with the actual abilities. Audiobooks are cool. Uh, when we come back, electric cars and some other stuff Matt is interested in. And some other stuff Matt is interested in. More than you are. We'll be right back on Matt Splained, our BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. I'm Rich Bradbury. Audiobooks are cool. And we mentioned Tesla at the top of the show. Is that where we're heading now? No, it isn't. But we just had another break. And Richard was 
going off about audiobooks again. I really don't know what his problem is. I don't know. It's, it's, I've never seen so much hate from one person. You know, I've got a mute button over here, right? Yeah, I know. That's what you kept saying about the audiobooks. You should just build a mute button in. Get on with it. All right, I'm just maligning him. It's all lies. <laughs> Everything's a lie, this whole show. Anyway, it is, it is. Um, yes, so uh, we are going into the uh, will it, won't it um, world of uh, EVs. Um, mm. Because, you know, beyond metropolitan hotspots, most countries just don't have they don't have the charging infrastructure that make EVs kind of nationally viable. Mm -hmm. And for every kind of successful company like Rivian, there's an EV from a major manufacturer that performs below expectations. So yep. I'm not going to name names, you know, you can Google it if you're interested. Uh, YouTube is full of EVs not doing what they're supposed to do. But that said, until we find better alternative energy sources for cars or make public transport truly usable, electricity is going to replace you know, combustion engines as a means of powering passenger vehicles. And I'm not telling anyone things that we don't already know. This isn't a prediction for 2023. Uh, but Tesla has dominated our conversations about EVs, um, you know, especially in the West, partly because EVs are still a small offering from most of the the big automaking companies. Mm -hmm. And Tesla was one of the first, certainly the most successful when it comes to uh, marketing. Tesla was one of the first manufacturers to reach scale as an EV only manufacturer. So this year, I think, and this is kind of more of not prediction but what we're going to see this year i think this year we're going to start seeing those chinese ev makers spreading out and kind of you know becoming global brand names yeah. and i know i guess um you know some listeners are probably laughing at me right now but the world laughed at um japanese and korean auto companies back in the 1970s but they don't laugh at any of those companies now Mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I do a, a car show uh, on a weekly basis on a Wednesday night, and Chinese um, EVs are, are, are dominating right now, and they are coming into to Malaysia as well. Um, so, um, and this is the year that other EV makers will be achieving scale or, or going global, right? Well, yeah, I feel a bit of a fraud talking about this when obviously you're the one who's far more of an expert than I am. Um, but, you know, I, I I'll, I'll let you have that one, mate. I'll, you right. know, I'll give you, you. one, mate. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. I take back the audio books. Um, I, I mentioned Rivian. Um, you know, they seem to have cracked the concept of delivering functional um, mm. electric trucks. But obviously that's still niche and a lot of EV companies are still very niche. But in China, as you were saying, you know, EV makers like um, BYD, BD are enormous and yeah. the cars are good. Yeah. Um, you know, we it's easy to forget that China is the world's largest market for EVs, mm -hmm. um, partly because car adoption there is relatively new um, and partly because the local automotive industry doesn't have, you know, a hundred years or decades of entrenched development in producing fossil burning cars. Its car companies are mostly 
relatively new. So their plant, their infrastructure, their designs, their outlook, those are all new too. And it's also where the batteries are made. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to be EV focused in China because the government can basically mandate that the infrastructure gets created. So a lot of those Chinese companies, the companies like BD, were focused on domestic demand. You know, why supply outside the country if you can't keep up with domestic demand? But of course, China's economy is slowing. Demand for cars is softening in that domestic market. While at the same time over in Europe, those countries are tightening their air quality restrictions. They're creating no-go zones for petrol and diesel engines. And they're preparing concrete plans to phase out, mm -hmm. you know, petrol and diesel-powered cars. Mm -hmm. Couple uh, that with these still, you know, rather lukewarm cars from the, the big car companies, the EVs, and you have these kind of perfect conditions for the Chinese car makers to jump across to the European markets and beyond. Mm -hmm. And again, just to stress, a lot of these cars are genuinely good. They're not derivative copies of things from somewhere else because they're creating EVs. They're not copying someone else's design. Mm -hmm. They're doing something new. So I think this is where the world will start to see the Chinese car industry in this kind of new and more positive light. There is one further question, though, an issue, and one that is plaguing the whole EV sector, and that's the supply chain issues that are you know, throttling supply. Throttling supply. Yeah, absolutely. But we have to remember that's industry-wide. So mm. I think the forecasts I saw suggested it would uh, continue definitely into 2023, but possibly beyond that. Um, I think when we're talking about these Chinese companies, it's more of a branding and a presence issue. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's going to be having a mindset of companies like BD in the same way that we think of Tesla. So the supply chain issues may limit the number of cars you can buy and how many you see on the streets, but they're doing that with everyone who's making EVs. Yeah. Um, but it's the focus that's important because this is still a new business sector. Mm -hmm. So when you think of EVs, you think Tesla. You yeah. don't think Nissan or Ford or BMW or Toyota. Mm. Those companies all have EVs, but you don't have a, a you don't have the mindset that they're EV brands. So mm, there's mm. this opportunity for other companies who can manufacture at scale in the EV sector to come into the space and establish themselves as brands that we know and trust. And I think that's what we're going to see from these Chinese demands, now that they're freed from domestic demand, are going to be focusing on. And that is enable, going to enable them, rather, to kind of rocket out of the gate once we see those supply chain issues start to sort of draw down. Do you think it's a bit disconcerting when we start talking about things that don't sound like we've made them up, like fantasy? Well, don't worry. I'm going to wrap up today back in fantasy land. So I'm going to, you know, disabuse everyone's notions. Uh, we're going back into the metaverse. Uh, the metaverse, of course, is really just the internet. Uh, I don't see the outlook for VR and AR sort of changing profoundly this year. Uh, mm. Apple is planning some kind of headset 
An expensive it, headset, from what I an hear. An expensive headset. Apparently, Apple is not going to say the word uh, metaverse. Uh, it might be this year. It's always might be with Apple because they don't like to release things if they don't think they're perfect. Uh, Tim Cook has been sort of dropping hints. Mm. Um, so their focus is likely to be a little bit different to, to Meta or whoever else. So he's hinted at more of a, a, an augmented reality approach, um, looking at ways to manipulate digital data in the physical world, according to a talk he gave in Naples last year. Of course, nobody knows what the sentence, ways to manipulate digital data in the physical world, <laughs> actually mean. But that's kind of the whole point. Um VR as an experience will, I think, continue to be a bit rubbish because the hardware is a bit rubbish. Um, yeah. Not in terms of, you know, the quality or not because of what it does or doesn't do, but because it still has to block you out of the real world in order for you to enter the virtual one. That is essentially rubbish. Mm. Um, but let's not forget as well that all of that AI stuff that we talked about in the first half of the show, all of that is metaverse too, mm, because, mm. you know, the internet is this kind of machine of a sort and all those machine generated tools, again, tools, not solutions. All of those tools are going to change the way that we interact with the internet. So maybe what we'll see is that the internet gains more of a kind of definition this year, not so much in terms of structure, not so much in terms of what people are building, but more in terms of a kind of a, a clarity of what we conceive it as. Um, what I think is for definite is that investment in the sector is going to continue. So yes, uh, Meta and some of the software and hardware companies may be scaling back on their uh, Metaverse investments, but the games companies aren't. Because, you know, they see this as both the future of their business, but also a way of expanding it yet yeah, as well. Um, and they need the metaverse in a way, I think, that companies like Meta don't actually need as yet. Do you think this links to Microsoft's bid to take over Activision Blizzard? Yeah, so Microsoft sort of weirdly wanders under the uh, under the radar a bit these days. Yeah. So you see it supporting calls for regulation of what it sees as anti-competitive practices by its rivals, even when that results in a financial hit for the company itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of the conversation about Microsoft centers on it being, you know, a bit of an old uncle in the, the tech world, you know, it, that it's yeah, focused yeah. On, on desktop computing in a mobile world. And it kind of ignores the fact that Microsoft has radically changed. Microsoft is actually about a lot of things. And a big part of that is cloud computing and games. So the Microsoft Blizzard merger would create a huge range of titles for the company to give away free with the Game Pass Xbox subscription. Mm. And that would include the all-important Call of Duty. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah. yeah. So much so that Microsoft doesn't even have to make the game exclusive to Xbox. Mm -hmm. Just by including it in Game Pass and it still being, you know, $70 to, to buy on PlayStation or what other platforms, there's that huge incentive for the company mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. um, not to mention the uh, Activision Blizzard subsidiaries that have a strong presence in mobile gaming, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's kind of mobile gaming is one of those first touch points with the gaming metaverse. Yeah. Um, so 
you know that that that's kind of uh, uh, brings me to a quick further uh, metaverse point, which of course is crypto and blockchain and uh, Web three, whatever you want to call it, which also is connected to all of that mobile gaming as well. Um, now, with the ongoing financial turmoil and the scandals like FTX, I think the kind of Web3 sector is still going to see a lot of negative press this year. But mobile gaming is one sector that is changing people's opinion of what Web3 is. Mm. Um, and that, again, is part of this idea that Web3 and the blockchain is part of the metaverse and the metaverse is part of the future internet. And this is where we come around full circle to the beginning the other aspect is actually Twitter. Now, I know that's not an obvious connection, but dissatisfaction with Twitter and other social platforms has led to people leaving the platform and looking for other social options. Uh, and they've landed on Mastodon as well as some of the kind of pure Web3 social media sites. Mm -hmm. And as we've discussed before, the people who use Twitter tend to be um, journalists, business people, politicians, you know, the supposed tastemakers and policymakers. And for a lot of them, these new social sites are actually their first real taste of Web3 beyond the idea of currencies, tokens, and NFTs. So they're mm. seeing and they're experiencing the blockchain in action because they're participating in these communities. Mm -hmm, and even mm -hmm. like site, even those sites, you know, like Mastodon, uh, which is a Twitter alternative, aren't actually on a blockchain. They are decentralized. So it's an introduction. I mean, if you like, it's almost a grooming mechanism for how decentralized operations function, mm -hmm. which creates uh, a better awareness of what blockchains can do and how they are likely to underpin the metaverse amongst this taste-making group of individuals. Mm. Um, and that's what's, you know, taking us towards that future internet. So that's it. That's a, a rough guide to 2023 in sort of 30 minutes. You know, I was wondering if you were going to get to NFTs at all, and then you did mention it in just your last little run-up there. Because the last year and the year before seemed to be all about those things, and here we are. I know, and it, it's funny how quickly... The NFTs are still going to be there, but they're not going to be there in the same kind of way I think that we've yeah. seen them. Yeah. We're not going to see those same bubbles around value. I think we're going to mm -hmm. see them see these tokens being attached more to uh, physical items as well. So we're seeing that crossover of them into the mm -hmm. the, the real world uh, where they act as, again, another kind of watermarking tool. Lovely. Thank you very much for that, Matt. Uh, now, of course, where can people find you on the internet? And if they miss this show, what can they do? Uh, if they missed this show, then they can go back to 2019 because that's when the world was good. Um, if you can't do that, yeah, you can check us out on... Uh, where can you find us? You can find us on the BFM app or wherever you find your podcast. So uh, app stores, Google Play, uh, Apple App Store. Um, but as I said, the best place to find us is on the BFM app. And the best place to find me is on my Substack, culturepop.substack.com which I haven't updated in ages because I've been really lazy over the holidays. Tusk, tusk, tusk. Uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. Of course, we will be back same time, same place next week if the world still exists and we haven't been destroyed by something like ChatGPT and 
all kinds of different AI. This has been or Matt Splain. Audiobooks. Or, or audiobooks. But if you know, if you need a voiceover, I know somebody who's really good at it. Um, anyway, this has been Matt Splain here on BFM 89.9, the business station. <laughs>